0: And then jumping down to verse 47. While he was still speaking, there came a crowd, and the man called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He drew near to Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? And when those who were around him saw what would follow, They said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus said, no more of this. And he touched his ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priest and the officers of the temple and the elders who had come out against him, have you come out against a robber with swords and clubs When I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay hands on me, but this is your hour and the power of darkness. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Dear friends in Christ Jesus, it's good to share with you today this story about one of the most hard-to-understand things in the Bible the betrayal of Jesus by his friend and disciple named Judas. Early in the Gospels, Luke tells us how Jesus chose his disciples. It's found in Luke chapter 6, and we read there, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose twelve of them, whom he also designated apostles Simon, whom he named Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James the son of Alphaeus, Simon, who is called the Zealot, Judas the son of James, and Judas Iscariot. That was three years earlier. That was at the beginning. Jesus had hundreds of people to choose from. He chose 12. Jesus picked them very carefully. He spent the entire night in prayer, praying about whom he should choose for his disciples until he made that list known. And he gave them very important titles. He called them apostles. The Apostle James, the Apostle Peter, the Apostle John. He chose men of high spiritual potential, men who could make a difference in the kingdom that he was going to institute. They were to be the foundation stones upon which his church and his movement was going to be built. Jesus gave them supernatural powers to heal the sick, to teach the truth of his word to others, and to demonstrate his love and compassion in a needy world. There was one of the twelve that he trusted so much that he made him the treasurer of the group. His name was Judas. And Jesus loved Judas. Jesus poured his heart into Judas. He equipped Judas for the task to which he was called. Jesus said to Judas, No one has greater love than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends, and you are my friend if you do what I ask you to do. Judas was there when Jesus fed the thousands. Judas was there when Jesus wept outside of the grave of his dear friend Lazarus. Judas was there when Jesus healed the sick, when Jesus raised the dead, when Jesus taught people about the grand wonders and glories of God. And then came that awful day when Judas switched his loyalties from God to Satan. He actually entered into a conspiracy with the devil in order to betray his friend and his teacher, Jesus. Luke describes what happens in these words. Then Satan entered Judas, called Iscariot, one of the twelve. And Judas went to the chief priest and the officers of the temple guard and discussed with them how they might betray Jesus. They were delighted and agreed to give him money. He consented and watched for an opportunity to hand Jesus over to them when no crowd was present. Many explanations have been offered. Some say it was because of money. Judas was given 30 valuable silver coins. It's amazing what some people will do for money. Some will sell their bodies. Some will compromise their standards. Some will risk their careers. Some will even sell their souls. Money can seduce some of the best of people. Some say it was because of jealousy. Judas wasn't part of that innermost circle of disciples, Peter, James, and John, and and he felt maybe a little left out, and he wanted power, and he wanted importance, and he was willing to do whatever was necessary in order to get it. And some say it was because of politics. Judas was a zealot, a political conservative, someone who wanted to rise up and overthrow the oppression of the Roman Empire, so that they could be set free. He saw Jesus as a candidate for king, somebody who could do what no one else could do. He knew that Jesus had the power to rally people around him to muster an army, and he was hoping that Jesus was the one who would lead them to overthrow the oppressive Roman rule. But the trouble was that Jesus was distracted by spiritual matters, He was concerned about religion and slow to move on the political realm. And maybe Judas thought that an arrest was just the push that Jesus needed to get him moving in that direction, to get things rolling against their efforts to overthrow Rome. And some say it was just pure evil. Judas was just the most wicked man Whoever lived. He was an ancient like Hitler or Stalin or Idi Amin or Saddam Hussein or someone like that. The Bible really doesn't say. Jesus' biographers focus on what he did, not on why he did it. And maybe the explanation is a combination of all these things that we have just mentioned. It's often true of the bad choices people make, that lots of things enter into their consideration. And maybe the Bible doesn't talk about it because we wouldn't understand, and and maybe we don't need to know and don't need to understand. But there was a crowd there on that night in Gethsemane. In that otherwise quiet and private place, that garden of Gethsemane, and it was a crowd that included Judas, choosing for evil. And while he was there, still speaking, verse 47, a crowd came up, and the man who was called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He approached Judas to kiss Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus asked him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man? With a kiss. We know from earlier in this chapter that Satan had entered into the heart of Judas, leading Judas to make plans with the Jewish religious leaders. What an awful thing. This is not something that happened by accident, this was something that was deliberately planned. It didn't happen by way of ignorance. For whatever reason, Judas made a deliberate choice to welcome the prince of evil into his life. He struck a deal with the devil. I cannot believe that he fully understood at the time what he was doing. Seldom does anyone begin sin with the expectation of the tragic consequences that are going to follow that sin. I suppose it looked attractive to him at the time. It obviously must have made some sense to him. Sin can be very seductive and appear to be very attractive. Rarely, if ever, does the devil make full disclosure of what is going to happen to the person who follows his whims and desires. On the human side, Jesus came with his disciples, and Judas came... With a large army to arrest him. The purpose of Judas was to take him to trial, and it was too risky to try to attack Jesus in public when other people are around because they were afraid that these people would be angry and upset and would begin to attack the police officers who were out there to arrest Jesus. So it had to be done privately and secretly. Nighttime was the best time to do that. It was at night when there was also the possibility of a risk of mistake. And that's why they had to make sure that they had someone who knew where Jesus was, who knew the habits of Jesus, and who could clearly identify Jesus because they didn't want to arrest the wrong person and bring the wrong person to trial. That's where Judas came in. He was the one they could depend on to give them Accurate information. And the single was a kiss. In those days, it was common for a devoted follower to greet a beloved teacher, a beloved rabbi, with a kiss. First of all, he would put his right hand on the rabbi's left shoulder and his, his left hand on the rabbi's right shoulder. And then he would lean in and kiss him first on one cheek and then on the other cheek. It was an expression of love and friendship and devotion. And for Judas to use a kiss like that to betray Jesus was exceedingly cruel. This was like a man who takes his wife out on their wedding anniversary to the very place where he proposed to her 20 years earlier and then ask her for a divorce. It would be like borrowing your best friend's vehicle in order to kidnap and assault his son or his daughter. In other words, it was not only a horrendous betrayal, but it was accomplished in the most hurtful and painful kind of way, He not only delivered Jesus to his enemies, but he delivered him to his enemies in a way that humiliated him in the process. It's almost too painful to listen to this question that Jesus asked. Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? How could anyone be so mean? How could anyone be so cruel? But you know, there's a Judas gene in each of us. There's a sense in which each of us could stoop to that kind of unspeakable crime. In the rise and fall of the Third Reich, William Sheard writes about the awful atrocities that Nazi physicians inflicted upon those who were taken prisoners. They dropped them from planes without parachutes to see how they would die. They put them in ice-cold water because they wanted to see at what temperature human life would come to an end. They did things almost too awful and too painful to mention, and that's just one illustration of the shocking and disgusting things that human beings have done to one another down through the centuries. What we find so evil in others is hidden in our own souls just as well. Sin is not something to be played with. Deals with Satan are, are dangerous beyond description. And that's why we must never begin where Judas began, or we may end up where Judas ended up. He who was once counted among Jesus' closest friends and followers, who spent three years listening to him and watching him and benefiting from his friendship, he turned on Jesus, and he betrayed the Son of Man with a kiss. And along with Judas were the police. There were enough of them to be called a crowd. As far as they were concerned, they were only doing their job. Technically, they were the temple priest, the ones who were police, the one who were in charge of the temple in Jerusalem, making sure that the operations that took place there were safe and secure. We know from another of Jesus' biographies that there were also, along with them, Roman soldiers as a backup, and in addition to the Roman soldiers, the, the crowd included chief priests as well as rulers from the Sanhedrin, which were part of the religious Jewish senate of that day. It was a small army to arrest just one single man. Perhaps they have expected a fight, or perhaps... They feared a miracle. It was a dark moment in history. In fact, Jesus describes it as your hour when darkness reigns. Apparently, there are times and places where God allows evil to show its true colors. He takes off the usual restraints and lets those who want to sin to do so with freedom. And sometimes they may think that they have complete freedom to do whatever they want and that they can win the victory for human souls and the victory for history, but they are wrong. The God who allows darkness and evil to temporarily reign is the God who also eventually will ultimately win that battle against sin and unbelief and darkness. And it's good to remember that when we think about what happened to Jesus when evil and darkness seems to flood our souls and our lives the way evil and darkness surrounded Jesus at this time in the garden. Remember that as awful as it may be, it is only temporary because God is still in control and God has a plan and a purpose that he is working out in the course of human history, in the life of Jesus, and in your life and mine. i wondered what these police must have thought later. When they reflected back on the unjust trial that Jesus went through, when they saw Jesus suffer and die on the cross at Calvary, when they heard about the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, when they heard about Judas being hung because he took his own life, when they realized that they had illegally arrested the son of god himself what did they say i suspect they would have said that they were just doing their jobs they were soldiers they were police officers they were under orders they had to do what they were told to do that was their duty that was their responsibility they really had no choice And so they weren't guilty. They were doing what had to be done. What an inadequate excuse. It's no one's job to do wrong. There is no excuse for turning against the Son of God. They shouldn't have done it. Especially those Jewish police officers should have known better. We all have to realize that we are personally responsible to God for what we do. To choose to do right instead of to do wrong. It's no excuse that somebody else told tells us to do it. It's no some, excuse that somebody else gave us the orders. We each have a responsibility in our personal life and in our professional life to do what is right. Verses 49 to 50 describe the initial reaction of the disciples fighting back. When Jesus' followers saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, should we strike with our swords? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his right ear. The disciples of Jesus saw the cops coming, and they were ready to fight back. They had their swords ready. And they asked Jesus, Jesus, shall we strike with our swords? And Peter didn't even wait for an answer. He pulled out his sword, and he struck at a slave named Malchus. He missed, sort of. Apparently, Peter was better with a fishing net than he was with a sword. Instead of killing or seriously wounding this man, Peter merely cut off his right ear. It was really clumsy. And by the way, you are wondering if I have these names right. Where did these names come from? Well, they're not recorded here in Luke's Gospel, but they're recorded in the Gospel of John, a book that was written many years later. And we know from John's biography of what took place that Peter and Malchus were involved in this fight that took place. Apparently, Luke left out the names just in case Malchus was still mad and, and Peter was still likely to be charged with assault. By the time John wrote the story, the Statue of Limitations had run out and Peter was no longer at risk. And so he was able to give greater details. While Luke skipped the names, there is one detail that Luke mentions that the other gospel writers don't mention. Luke specifically mentions that it was the man's right ear that was cut off. Now, why do you think Luke did that? Well, remember what Luke was by way of profession he was a doctor. And that's precisely the kind of thing that a doctor would want to remember and a doctor would want to record. He recorded that because of his profession. Luke knew exactly what he was doing. Now, most people are critical of Peter because of this attack. They say that Peter was playing right into the hands of these people because he was giving the impression that Jesus was an insurrectionist who was out to attack police officers, and that's certainly not the impression that Jesus wanted to convey. They point out that Peter was actually putting Jesus at risk by the actions that he took here. It undermined Jesus' insistence that he had come in peace and he had a mission from God, a mission from God that did not involve human violence in any form whatsoever. And I suppose all of that is true and correct. But I just have to tell you that there's a sense in which I can appreciate Peter because he was willing to risk his life for Jesus, In secret service terms, Peter was willing to take a bullet for Jesus. He loved Jesus and was willing to do whatever was necessary in order to help Jesus and protect Jesus. And he was even willing to die for Jesus if necessary. I would rather be like Peter than like Judas. and then there is jesus leading with love jesus was interrupted mid sentence remember he was just coming from the toughest prayer that he had ever ever offered in the garden of gethsemane he pleaded with god while the disciples fell asleep, he felt all alone under the stars as he pleaded with God for some other way to save his people. He didn't want to go to the cross. He didn't want to bear the agony and torment of hell in our place. He didn't want to do that. He said, not my will, but yours be done in the end, even though that is not what he wanted to do. Eventually, he came to the point of realizing that God's work had to be done in God's way. And even if he didn't want to go to the cross, he knew that the way of the cross was the reason that God had sent him into this world. He had come into this world to save his people from their sins. And he was not going to leave until he had completed that task. He had come to make bring alienated people back into the presence of God. He had come to break down that dividing wall of hostility that existed between a sinful people and a holy God. He had come to bear our punishment and our shame that we might share his glory. He had left heaven and come to earth that he might take his people home with him to heaven. And nothing could stop him now. Jesus was drained. He was exhausted. He had nearly died. And now he was betrayed and assaulted and arrested. But at the same time, he was calm and cool and collected. There's no hint that he felt threatened or out of control. His time of prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane had strengthened him and he completely trusted God's will and was not rattled or frightened. He spoke with confidence and with love. Jesus could have used his supernatural powers to wrap the whole lot of them and get rid of them once and for all, but he didn't do that. Instead, he used his miraculous power to heal the wounded man, Malchus, and restore his ear. But Jesus answered, no more of this. And he touched the man's right ear, and Jesus said to the chief priest and the officers of the temple guard and the elders who had come for him, am I leading a rebellion that you have come with swords and clubs? Every day I was with you in the temple courts, and you did not lay a hand on me, but... This is your hour when darkness reigns. Jesus was no rebel involved in guerrilla warfare, he had no secrets. He didn't belong to an underground conspiracy movement. He traveled and taught in the open. He walked the temple courts daily when he had the opportunity, and they could have talked to him at any time, and they could have arrested him there. But Jesus was explaining to them that something bigger is happening here. He was not evil. They were. He was not being illegal, but they were. Jesus was wonderful. He was kind to his enemies. He understood that God was working out a far greater plan behind the scenes, and he was willing to submit to those whom he had the power to overcome. He recognized that he was on his way to the cross and that that was his mission in life. He came to die so that all who trust in him might have the knowledge and certainty of knowing their sins were forgiven and that everlasting life would be their inheritance in glory. And he is our example. When he was treated unfairly, when others were evil and unjust, Like Jesus, we can have that same supernatural confidence that comes from God himself. It's a confidence that is not shaped by sinful circumstances, but by our ultimate trust in God. And this story of of Jesus' life is a story for our lives, Again and again, we have our gardens of Gethsemane. Usually it's not a literal garden. More often it's at home or at work or driving a car or typing at a computer or wherever it is. You know what happens. All of a sudden, on the spur of the moment, you're you're forced to make a choice. You have to to make a choice between what is right and what is wrong, what is good and what is evil. You have to take a side, whether it's God's side or Satan's side. And like Judas, we can sell out Jesus for a kiss, or for a thousand dollars, or for some other seemingly good reason at the time. Or like the police officers, we can try to say that it was only our duty, our responsibility. We were simply doing our jobs. We couldn't help what was taking place. Or like Peter, we can come to Jesus' defense and we can risk our lives even though we... May cause additional problems by so doing. Or we can be like Jesus and lead in love. I'd rather be a Peter than a Judas. I'd rather do what's right and lose my job I'd rather be on God's side than on Satan's side but most of all I'd like to be like Jesus please join me in prayer Lord Jesus, thank you for loving us so much that you were willing to leave your home in heaven with all the glory and splendor that was yours, and you were willing to come to this earth to suffer and die on the cross for our sins. Help us to respond by saying, I acknowledge that I am a sinner in need of your forgiveness. I put my trust in you alone for my salvation. And I thank you that by your perfect life and atoning death and glorious resurrection, you have opened up the way for me to know that my sins are forgiven and that eternal life is my inheritance in glory. And I thank you for that. And and I ask that you would fill me with your Holy Spirit and enable me to love those around me in just a fraction of the way that you showed your immense, and awesome, and astounding love for us. In your name we pray, amen.